0: Um, as you know, um, our pastor, the Lord, placed it upon our pastor's heart to uh, hold a, um, a kingdom conference that starts this Sunday, and we most certainly do want to make sure that everybody is in place. And the whole goal and purpose of that conference is to strengthen the church. And our pastor started a teaching last Sunday, I believe it was, on that, to that core on strengthening the church And he taught a phenomenal, most anointed word during our 7 a.m. class called Mind Your Business. (laughs) Isn't it amazing how the word just covers everything? Amen. And most certainly for those of us who applied that word, it most certainly did strengthen us and it is strengthening the church tonight. So tonight's Bible study, I want to continue in um, that theme I'm not talking about us minding our business tonight but what we will talk about will help us to mind our business as well as uh, everything else that the word of God teaches us so we're we're strengthening the church tonight and just so you know uh, strengthening the church was is not uncommon it's not uncommon um, this is something that Paul and the apostles and the prophets did regularly throughout their ministry I'm going to share a few scriptures with you, um, and Sounding, you may put them on the board, um, and you can start my clock, please. Um, and these particular scriptures, I'm just going to uh, zoom through these scriptures really quickly just to give you an idea of how strengthening the church is so necessary, and it's not, it's not a foreign concept, all right? So, for example, in Acts chapter 14, verse number 21, it says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch that's where they had established churches and what did they do they strengthened the souls of the disciples you know they just strengthened the souls of the disciples so let's look then again at Acts chapter 15 verse number 32 in Acts chapter 15 verse number 32 we see Jude inside as Judas and Silas now Judas and Silas themselves being prophets also exhorted and what did they do strengthen the brethren with many words. You see that? Uh, Let's look in Acts chapter 15, verse number 41. We see it again. Is Paul. Uh, The scripture is referencing Paul. And he went through Syria and Sicilia. What was he doing? Strengthening Strengthening the churches. Strengthening the churches. Let's look at one more scripture. In Acts chapter 18, verse number 23, after he had spent some time there, This again is is Paul. He departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order. And what did he do? He strengthened all the disciples. So again, this whole concept of strengthening the churches. And again, the Lord placed it on our pastor's heart to strengthen the church, strengthen the church. So it's not a foreign concept, not just that, but we understand that it is a need. Thursday before last, I believe it was, when our pastor was talking about how we as Christians have to conduct ourselves and live in this world. This world is very dark. This this world is very evil. This world is very wicked. And there's so many things that comes against us as believers on a daily basis. And as a result, there is a need for us to be strengthened in our souls. Amen. So this concept of strengthening means to support. It means to cause someone to become stronger. It literally means to make firm. So what was it that needed to be strengthened in the church? Well, according to the scriptures that I just shared with you, their commitment to Christ needed to be strengthened. Their commitment to Christ needed to be strengthened. They, they needed to become stronger and firmer in faith And they needed to increase their resolve to hold fast to the word. They needed needed to increase their resolve. Your resolve to hold fast to the word has to be strengthened. Right? They, They needed to increase their resolve to hold fast to the word, especially as they were faced with adverse circumstances and difficulties. And, 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 and it's not commonplace that there, there are many in the body of Christ, even in this room tonight, that are experiencing in some form or another adverse circumstances and difficulties. Well, your soul has got to be strengthened. Your resolve to hold fast to God's word, come what may, has to be strengthened. And that strength takes place, not intellectually, but it takes place in your soul. That is why the Bible says to Paul, Paul prayed, I believe it is in Ephesians, that the church would be strengthened with might whereat? In their inner man. So that's what we're going to do tonight. So um, if this was a common standard practice for Paul, then it is safe to conclude that the church today needs to be strengthened The church today needs ongoing strength, and not just uh, uh, the church at large, yes, but even our local church. So again, we thank God for our pastor who is putting on a phenomenal conference. How many of you know we need to be here? Why do we need to be here? Because we need to be strengthened. Why do we need to be here? Because our faith needs to be strengthened. So we're going to be in place so that we can be prepared and equipped to continue on in this world. So one of the ways that a church is strengthened is through love. One of the ways that a church is strengthened is through love and specifically love for one another. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. I want you to know that love is what strengthens a church. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse number 1. You can put that up for me. First Corinthians chapter 8, verse number one. Uh, look at the B calls. Paul says it is love that strengthens the church. So as our love for one another grows, as our love for our, our uh, one another grows in our church, guess where our church is going to grow? Our church is going to grow numerically, but our church is also going to grow spiritually strong as we, as the local body of believers, and particularly in this church. Grow in our love towards one another. So that's what we're talking about tonight. Strengthening the church through love. Love one another. Say it with me. I got to love, I gotta love. My, brother my brother and sister. So our text tonight is 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. We're going to read verses 7 through 11. We're going to be camping out tonight in 1 John. I absolutely love the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, we're going to read 7, verses 7 through 11, verses 20 and 21. All right, John says, Beloved, let us do what? Let us do what? Let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Isn't that good news? He loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Skip down to verse number 20. He says, if someone says, I love God, I love him. Because he first loved me. I love God with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, as the scripture says. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, He is a liar for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen every Sunday, every single Thursday. Doing women's fellowship, spirit filled men, the church picnic, kingdom conference, faith conference. The list goes on and on. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God, he who says, I love him, I love the Lord, because he first loved me, he who says that he loves God must love his brother also. Isn't that good? So we're going to strengthen the church tonight by working on our love walk. Amen. Amen. So I love this this book again, the book of John. I love it. The letters of John, uh, the letters of John uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John really call Christians to a series of examinations. And I love the whole concept of self-examination. Even, you know, when I teach our, our singles class, we are always examining ourselves. You know, because we understand that Christianity is not a label, but it's a lifestyle. And I love the book of John here, these letters of John, because they are it's a series of examinations. And what we see here in John is uh, uh, John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is giving us criteria. Everybody say criteria. criteria by which we can test our faith or the validity of our claim to be Christians to know God, and to love God. So when you are reading through John's letter, John is basically giving you criteria to know whether or not you're saved. He's giving you criteria to know whether or not you're in fellowship with God. And and that's really important because we live in a day-to-day where everybody is saved. You know, when you're evangelizing, like nine times out of ten you know, most people are saved. Everybody loves Jesus. Everybody knows God. But, but see, you got to go to the word and you got to read the criteria. See, there's some criteria in this thing. And some people, I I say, man, if that's salvation, I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) Because for some people, I mean, some people, their lifestyle has just redefined salvation. But we're going to walk through the word tonight to find out what it actually means to be saved. And hopefully at the end of this class tonight, this teaching tonight, we'll know whether or not we know Jesus. All right. So in this particular uh, book here, there are four different types of tests that John gives us as criteria by which we can test our faith or our claim to be Christians. Let me see all those who are Christians tonight. All right. This is going to be good. All right. So the first test is a doctrinal test. And I'm just going to speed through these because I want to get to the main crutch. Number one, he says in chapter one, and I really encourage you to read the book of John, uh, uh, the epistle of John, first, second, and third on your own. But there's a doctrinal test that we must have the right view of mankind in his sin. Chapter one covers that. Uh, We also must have the right view of Jesus. We must know who Jesus really is that he came, according to John chapter 2 and verse number 1, to be the propitiation for our sins. He's the atoning sacrifice, not just our sins, but the sins of the whole world. You cannot be saved if you don't have an accurate, biblical, doctrinal understanding of who Jesus is and why he came. So that's the, the doctrinal test. But then there's also a morality test, and I really like this one, 1 John chapter 1, verse number 6, and you can put that up for the screen. Uh, um, uh, uh, sound team. Uh, again, these tests are testing the validity of our claim to know Jesus. And John says here in verse number six of First John, he says, "If we say we have fellowship with Him, this is the morality test. All right. If we say we have fellowship with Him, that is, if you say you have fellowship with God, if you say that you're born again, if you say that Jesus is Lord of your life, but you walk in darkness." Look at this criteria. But you walk in darkness. What does that mean? You you are habitually practicing sin. There's a continued pattern of sin in your life. John says here, if you say you know him, but you walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. Verse number seven. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. Cleanses us from all our sins. So again, here is the criteria for knowing whether or not you are a true Christian. How do I know I'm a true Christian? Because when you look at my life, there's not a pattern of sin. We don't pre- Chris. Real Christians don't practice sin. You know, we're not sinless, but we sin less. And the more we get through sanctification, we sin less and less and less, and less. But you can't tell me that you know Jesus when there's a constant habitual practicing of sin in your life. That's the criteria. That's the criteria of how you know him. So that's the morality test, but then there's the obedience test. This is so good. You see why I love the book of John? There's the obedience test that also validates our claim to know Jesus. How do you know Jesus? You say you know Jesus. Let's look at first John chapter two, verse number three. He says, now, by this, we know that we know him. How do we know him, John? How do we know because we simply profess to know him? Do you know Jesus simply because you said out of your mouth that you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus simply because you come to church, you a faithful churchgoer? Is that how you know you know Jesus? How do we know that we know him? Verse number three, now, by this, we know that we know him if, if. We do what? We keep his commandments. Then he says in verse number four, he who says, I know him. I'm saved. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm born again. Sure enough, I came down to the altar and I confessed him as Lord of my life and I repented of my sins. I know Jesus. He who says I know him, but does not keep his commandments. He's a liar. And the truth is not in him. So what the word is teaching us tonight is that you never look at what a person says. You look at how they walk. You look at how they live. And that will tell you all you need to know as to whether or not they are what a Christian. So these are moral and doctrinal tests. But there is one more test that John gives to us as criteria to know whether or not our claim to have a relationship with God is true or false. There's one more test that John gives us as criteria to know whether or not you really are a Christian, whether or not you really are a believer. You can come down here and dance up a storm. But this one test right here is going to tell us whether or not you know Jesus. And what test is that? You probably guessed it. It's the love test. The love test. Very early in his letter, John introduces this test to us. It is the love test. And let me say before we get in front of that, before we talk more about that, believers, we're strengthening the church. We're strengthening our body. We're strengthening even this church. That's what, that's what the Lord gave our pastor. That's why we're having a conference upcoming. We're strengthening this, our, 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 our church. And one of the ways that we strengthen our church is by loving one another. We strengthen our church by examining our love walk. And let me tell you, you may not realize this, but I'ma tell you, and this is from the heart of God. God cares about our relationships with one another. He sure does. God cares about how we treat one another. God hears the conversation, and but more than that, God sees, He sees the, the reality of our heart towards our brothers and our sisters. God cares about how we treat one another. God cares about when our relationships are fractured. All this, I can't get with her. All this, we, don't, we just don't click. We just don't, not in the body of Christ. In the body of Christ, we click. We click in the body of Christ. And we're not talking about preferences. You know, you might like chocolate. I might like vanilla. That's good. That's cool. We ain't talking about that. But no, we get along in the body of Christ. And see, if we can't grow to a place where we're getting along, where we're loving one another, then we're going to have fractions in our church and it's going to hinder growth. But God is calling us tonight to examine our relationships with one another. And this is the concept of brotherly love in Romans chapter 12, verse number 10. What is he saying? He says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. What is brotherly love? Brotherly love is the love that believers have for one another. And I'm going to say it again. God cares about our relationships. And God is examining and God is looking at how we treat each other. Do you know that you are more family with your kingdom family than you are with your natural family? What did Jesus say when they said, hey, Jesus, your mother and your... Jesus said, who are my mother? Who are my brother? Who are my sisters but those who do the will of the Father? Those are the ones who are my mother and my brother and my sisters. And that's not to say that with our blood family, that we don't love our blood family and that we're not there for our blood family because we are, but you are more connected with your kingdom family than you are with your natural family. And I'm not just saying even your kingdom family in this church, but do you know you have brothers and sisters abroad? Do you know you have brothers and sisters that are right now in hiding for their very life because of the gospel? You got brothers and sisters in China, in Asia, in California, you got brothers and sisters that you have not even yet met in the natural, that's because your kingdom family, you're more closer to your kingdom family than your natural family. And God wants us to strengthen that bond that we share. God doesn't want divisions between us, but God wants us to strengthen our walk. Amen. Amen. Let's look at 1 John 2, verse number 9. God cares about our relationships with one another. How do we know that He says this? In 1 John chapter 2, verse number 9, NLT. Listen to what John says. He says, if anyone I am living in the light. If anyone says, I am saved, I am living in the light, but hates a fellow believer. That person is still living in darkness. I told you, God cares about, he cares about our relationship. God cares about how we treat each other. He says again, if anyone says, I am living in the light, that's another way of saying I am saved. I love Jesus, but hate a fellow believer. New King James says, brother. So this is not just a random human being, but a fellow believer, a fellow brother, sister of Christ. So this is not to say that we should hate non-Christians because we shouldn't. But the test here is specifically applied to your brother and sister relationship. That's the test. That's the test. He's not talking about, he says, a fellow believer. He's not talking about non-believers. He's talking about the person that's sitting beside you right now on your road that you see every single week when you come into the house of God. He says, if anyone says, I am, I am saved, I am living in the light, but hates his fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. He says again in verse number nine. He says it again in verse number nine, the same thing. And here it is. This is the indication that if you claim to be a believer, if you claim to know Jesus, if you claim to be saved, but there is no manifest love between you and your brother and your sister in Christ, according to scripture, your claim is false. According to scripture, you are a liar. And and, and I want y'all to bear in mind two words, liar and murderer. Because we're going to get there. Focus on what, you know, the Bible says, uh, a pastor has taught us that, you know, there's no waste of words in scripture. But if you are sitting here, if you are coming in week after week, but you don't have an authentic love for your brother and sister, you're a liar. You're a liar. And you are a murderer. And I'm here to tell you this is a serious claim, this is some serious criteria. And, you know, it it does us justice to really take this thing serious. It's so important to God that he makes a second reiteration. Look at first John chapter three, verse number 10. This is so important to him. He says, now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Wow. What an economy. Children of God versus children of the devil. We can now tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously, that's the morality test, and does not love other believers, that's the love test, does not belong to God. I'm going to read that again. Anyone who does not live righteously, and does not love other believers, does not love their brother or sister in Christ, authentically does not belong to God. So if you don't belong to God, who do you belong to? I told you God cares about our relationships. God cares about how we treat each other. So if you don't belong to God, what you're sanctified Two-stepping, filled with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, self. Who do you belong to? Well, according to the Scripture, you don't believe you belong to God. Uh, you're not a child of God, so you belong to the devil. Can the word be any clearer? He, re- he reiterates it again. I told you that God cares about this stuff. First John chapter 3, verse number 15. Anyone who what? Anyone who what? Hates Hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. So I told you, I want you to remember the word liar. And I want you to remember the word murderer. We're going to come back to that. But anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And oh, my God. Look at this B clause. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. That's serious. He says anyone who hates, well, what is it? What is hate? Extreme hostility, just dislike. And you know it goes on in the body of Christ where people who name the name of Christ just don't like each other. Just don't, don't like each other. That's hate, jealous of each other, covetous of each other, just want to see you fall, just want to see, just seek, that's the secret things just deep down in your heart, just the secret things is just, you know, don't want to see you blessed, don't want to see you prosperous, that's hate, but it's going on in the church, and God is calling us tonight, we got, we got to examine our hearts. Because because according to Scripture, if we fall into that criteria, we're a liar, we're a murderer, and we don't have eternal life. There's going to be some shocked people when they go into eternity. So now we're getting into matters of eternity. And I don't know about you, but when I see Scriptures like that, I start searching myself. I'm telling you, when I was, when I was putting this together, I, I said, oh, Lord, I had to put it down. I had to start searching myself. I had to start forgiving. I had to start forgiving. I had to start just, just confessing, Lord, I forgive. I forgive. Because, see, I don't want to be up here serving and not have eternal life within me. No, no, no. So hate is a hostility or a dislike towards somebody. It can be active. You know, when you're just actively mistreating your brother or sister, that's hate. When you're slandering, when you're gossiping, when you're talking about your brother and sister, that's hate. But you know, the worst kind of hate is that passive hate. That indifference, that, that coldness, that, that, I mean, you know, that passive hate where you're smiling in my face. But you're really not with me. You, you heard my testimony, you, you saw me on the screen for the, the, the offering exhortation. And you heard about how the Lord blessed me, how he opened up the windows of heaven and poured out room enough that I just did not have room enough to receive because I obeyed him. And you come and you celebrate me and you tell me that you're happy for me, but deep down inside there's a passive coldness. There's an indifference. You're not really happy for me. That's hate. That's hate. And the Bible says that if we don't do anything about that hate and that passive indifference, we don't have eternal life in us. We don't have eternal life in us. God, we're strengthening the church tonight. We're strengthening the church tonight. So then what does love look like between believers? Number one, it's supernaturally natural. Love between believers is supernaturally natural and it's real and it is fervent. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 22. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 22. Sound team, if you have that, please put it up. NLT. Peter says you were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere, sincere NLT. If you have the NLT, you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all of your heart. That's what love looks like between believers. It is supernaturally natural. It is supernaturally natural. Well, what happens? We receive the truth of the gospel. We obey it. We become born again. What happens next? We start loving. It is supernaturally natural. It is supernaturally natural. Again, we hear the gospel. We receive the gospel. We obey the gospel. What comes next? We start loving. Salvation produces a genuine love for your brothers. How do you know you're saved? Because you genuinely love. You genuinely love. Let me give you an example. What do dogs do? Dogs bark. What do lions do? Lions roar. What do cats do? Cats purr. Why? Because it's in their nature to do it. A dog does not purr. A lion does not bark. A cat does not bark. Why? Because it's not in their nature to do. But dogs bark, lions roar, cats purr. Believers love. Believers love. How do we know? It's in our nature. It's what we do. That's why Paul John gives his love test as a criteria. If you want to know if you're really, 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 really truly born again, check your love wall. How do you feel about your brother and sister who you see day in and day out? Believers love because it's in our nature. When we became born again, God placed in every last one of us an unlimited capacity to love. So don't come telling me that you know Jesus. Don't come telling me that you love God. Don't come up here speaking in tongues and shouting all over the place when you have hatred in your heart for your brother and your sister in the Lord. So in the next last 15 minutes, we're strengthening the church. What then is our motivation? Why should we love one another? Why should we love one another? Why should we care about what this is saying? Why should we care about all these criterions that John has given to us? Why should we love one another? Well, number one, we should love one another because God loved us. If You can put the, put the, um, the points up, please, Sound Team. We should love one another because God loved us. So, number one reason why we should love one another is because God loved us. Where do we see this in the text? Let me give you three scriptures. It's right in our main text tonight. First John chapter 4, verse number 9, NLT. Notice what it says. God showed how much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we can have eternal life through Him. First John four and 10. This is real love. Not that we loved him. <laughs> While we were sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, just take a moment and think about your life pre-salvation. I mean, come on, seriously. This is real love that, I mean, you just think about your life pre-salvation. You think about God's grace and his mercy time and time again, time and time again, time and time again. I don't know about you. I'm so glad mercy didn't run out. Good night. I'm so glad he had mercy on me. And sometimes when I'm praying, I say, God, I just... I don't understand why you did, but I just thank you for it. Because I know of people that mercy ran out. I mean, when I think about if mercy had run out on me, when I think about how I would be eternally lost, it just, it just does something. It just does something to my, my, my mind and my thinking, but it also does something to my heart because it just causes me just to, to lay, prostrate on the floor and just worship God and just thank him. He says, not that we love God, but that he loved us in our sinful state. And even since being saved, we hadn't always done what we should have done. Even since being saved, we haven't crossed every eye and dotted every T we haven't just just you know walked the straight and narrow even since being saved not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins we love each other because God loved us when we didn't deserve it we didn't deserve his love Put your resume away, shred it to pieces. There's nothing about us. The Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. There's absolutely nothing good about me that would cause God to love me. Yet, he loved me enough that he sent his son as a sacrifice for my sins. So it becomes easy to love. It becomes easy to love Sister Felicia. It becomes easy to love Sister Audrey. It becomes easy to love Candace and Dominique and Kimra. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on because when I got born again, he placed in me an unlimited capacity to love. So when I have an all against my brother, sister, I go to them because I love them and I care about, I care about my relationship with my brother and sister. I don't want my, my, my relationship to be fractured. No, we love because he loved us. And I love this one, First John, chapter four, verse number 11, new living. Dear friends, this sums it up. Since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. How much did God love you? I don't even want you to know what the, that much is in my life. Because that much was mess. I mean, it was just mess. But he loved me that much. He loved me that much. So he says, if he loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. In other words... We surely ought to love on this level. That's what that much. On the same level that God loved you, that's how you ought to be loving. Sacrificially. Not not holding grudges. God didn't hold nothing against you. He could have. He had every right to. He had every right. But he was merciful. And yet in our relationships, we withhold mercy. Mercy. It's a shame before God we withhold mercy we put a cap on our love but that's not how he loved us he said surely we ought to love each other to this level the same way that God loved you the same way that he loved you out of your mess you got to love on that level so why should we love because God loved us secondly we should love because our love for one another is a testimony to the world the world can see Christ When we love each other, what a horrible testimony it is when people don't want to be a Christian because Christians are mean. Be careful in your goings and your comings and in your doing business. Be careful when you're at the grocery store and you're shopping and you're on your job and you're interacting with people. Manage your temperament. It's a bad testimony when the unbelievers encounter mean, unliving, unloving Christians. You give God a bad rap. But when we love each other, that love flows throughout of us. And it's a testimony to the world. The world can see Christ. One of the dilemmas that we have and sharing Christ with others is that we are literally, when we're evangelizing, we're literally aiming to convince people of a God they can't see. We're trying to convince people of a God they can't see, but when we love each other, we put God on display. When we love each other, we put God on display, and when we love each other, love will grow our church. Love will grow our church spiritually, love will grow our church numerically. So we love because God loved us. We love because our love for one another is a testimony to the world. Number three, we love because we are commanded to love one another. God has given us an authoritative order. Love for one another is not optional. It's not optional. There's no pass. God's not giving you no pass. Hmm. It's an authoritative order order. Where are my parents out here? Give your kids an order and they not do it. Have to say it, have, have to say it one time too many times. You know, God is our heavenly father. Let him tell you to do something. You don't do it. And some of you God been dealing with you, pulling on your heart about how you treat folk, how mean you are. your personality, just mean, just mean, mean as the devil. <laughs> just mean, he's been dealing with you, you just mean, talk, husband, treat, you treat your wife right. You know, your wife, husband, is your sister in Christ first, Amen. if you're born again. Amen. And likewise to the wives, your husband is your brother in Christ if you're born again. But, but just mean, you know? You know, God, been de, de, he, he, he's our father and he's given us an order. So we're, we're commanded to love one another because we, we, we're, we're motivated to love one another because God commands us to do it. Now, I told you earlier that there is a one of the criterions to know whether or not you are saved is through obedience. You remember that? In 1 John chapter 4. Uh, um, uh, actually, yeah, that the test of obedience, let me go to that right quick. The test of obedience. uh, Now this first John two or three. Now by this, we know that we know him. If we commit, if we keep his commandments, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments and one of his commandments is to love. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 21. Can't get no clearer than this. And this is the option that we have for him. Is that what it says? Is that what your translation says? This is the option. And this is the option dependent on what they do and how receptive they are. Is that what your translation says? No. And this is the commandment that we have from who? God. What's the commandment? That he who loves God must love his brother also. It don't get no simpler than that. It don't get no simpler than that. So we're talking about the motivations to love. We love because God loves us. We love because our love for one another is a testimony to the world. We love because we are commanded to love one another. And I love this one. This is our last point of the night. Pay attention. What were the two words I told you to remember? Liar and murder. Say it again. Liar and murder. Say it again. Liar and murder. Now write it down in your notes. I'm I'm serious. Let me give you a moment. Write it down in your notes. The fourth and final reason. Well, the fourth and final motivational for why we are to love one another as we are strengthened in the church is because love is the assurance that we are born again. Really think about that. I don't know about you, but I want to be sure. Especially over things that really, really matter. I mean... It may or may not rain tomorrow. I don't care. I don't care if it's not going to rain tomorrow. I mean, it may be warm tomorrow. It may not be warm. I don't care. But salvation? I care about that. And, and, and the Bible says that, that we, we need to examine ourselves to know whether or not we're in the faith. Now, what does that mean, exactly what it says? And why do we need to examine ourselves? Because obviously there are some people that's not in the faith, and they don't realize that they're not in the faith. This test right here, this love test, this test right here is one of the greatest tests to know whether or not you are born again. So the, so the fourth and final motivation is because love is the assurance that we are born again. How else do you know that you're a Christian? How do you know you're saved? Because you love the way God loves. That's how you know. You love the way God. We already went over the other criteria. You, you, you don't practice sin. You don't practice sin. If you can't tell me that you're born again and you are just practicing. No, we are overcomers. We're overcomers, right? Right? You don't practice sin. You do obey his commandments. But right here, you love. Love for your brother and your sister validates your claim to be saved. Love for your brother and your sister validates your claim to be saved. And your love got to be genuine. Remember 1 Peter chapter 1 and 22. He talks about uh, our, our love has to be sincere. Not it is <laughs> Girl, I'm so happy for you. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Praise the Lord. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But deep down in your heart, uh-uh. You ain't happy. You're not sincere. Your love has to be genuine. All right? Where do we see this in scripture? That love is the assurance that we want to be that we are born again. Who wants to be sure that you're born again i do so then when i saw this i said my goodness let me pay attention then to to what he's saying here first john chapter 4 verse 20 new king james he says if someone says i love god and hates his brother what is he what is he A a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen how can he love God whom he has not seen? All right? 1 John 3 and 15, NLT. And we are, we are closing. 1 John chapter 3, 15, NLT, please. NLT. You got it, sound team? Anyone who hates another brother or sister, anyone who fakes it, <laughs> girl girl I'm so I'm so glad for you girl fake <laughs> fake you're fake you're not sincere God knows if you're sincere your brother's sister may not know it but God knows and I don't know about you but I care about I care that God can see and know the authenticity, authenticity of my heart Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a what? Say it again. A murderer at heart. A murderer. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. Wow. So he's a liar and he's a murderer. And I'm closing here. And Brian, you can play softly. Revelations chapter 21 and 8. New King James Version. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable... (sighs) Do y'all see that? But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, and what? Murderers. Murderers. Sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and who else? All oh uh, who Lions. shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I thought lion was just withholding the truth. It is. It goes so much different, so much deeper. (laughs) When you say you love God and hate your brother, you a liar. (laughs) And there are eternal consequences. That is the greatest motivation to love your brother and sister. And we're ending right here. I'm done. That's the greatest motivation. That right there, Revelation chapter 21 and 8. That's the greatest motivation to forgive. That's the greatest motivation to don't hold no grudges. Watch this. That's the greatest motivation to love your pastor. You know, he's included in that. Did you know our pastor is our pastor? He's also our brother in Christ. You know, God cares about the relationship that we have with him too. Revelations 21 and 8. Everyone standing, I am done. That's the greatest motivation. To forgive. To not hold any grudges. No grudges. To be of one mind. To settle matters quickly. To be sincere in our happiness for each other. And that's how we grow a church. That's how we grow a church. So tonight, when I say we all, I mean all of us. I mean myself too. We need to examine our life and we need to examine our heart by this standard. By everything. That's that's a high standard. That's a high standard. We need to examine our heart for even things that in our heart towards our fellow brother and sister in Christ. That is not right. It's not right. You know, um, dislike, jealousies, covetousness, malicious spirits, all the fakeness, you know, we need to, we need to get rid of that stuff out of our heart because the implications are too severe. They're too, I'm not being lost for nothing. Do you hear me? I'm not being lost. I'm not, I'm telling you when I was reading this, I got on my knees and I just repented. You know, because one of the temptations too for, you know, just, you know, it'd be kind of hard to, to maneuver in this space, especially if you've been like, you know, the victim of mistreatment and things like that. But sometimes we ain't always been the victim of mistreatment. Sometimes we've been on the other end and we've mistreated. I've mistreated. Either way, I got on my knees and I repented to the Lord for any malice any anything in my heart towards anybody especially my brothers and sisters that is not right because the implications is it's just too severe you can ignore it if you want to but I don't ignore stuff like this I don't ignore stuff like this So we need to repent tonight for even our contribution towards fractured relationships. God cares about that kind of stuff. We can't just go on and 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 on. It's just expect to be all blessed and all that kind of stuff. When we got relationships that are fractured, that are not right, God cares about that stuff and we need to fix it. All right. So we're going to just say a simple prayer. And if you know, I'll invite you down to the altar tonight. If that is you, if, if, if you just wanna, you know, if you wanna examine your heart, if you wanna just increase your love walk towards your brothers and sisters in Christ, we're just gonna say a corporate prayer tonight that we increase brotherly love so that our church could be strengthened and you could join me at the altar.